Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm going to be your host today. If this is your first time listening, I would love to chat with you, so send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. It's the end of an era. The 20-teens have been great, but we're looking forward to the 2020s. And as we end this decade and move into another, I'll hand it off to our executive minister, John Sutphin, as he refocuses us on why we do church in the first place. Good morning. I want to welcome you to Capital City. We're glad you've taken time to come and join us this day. and glad that you stuck around because I think Doc said that I was going to be speaking this morning. I was worried there were going to be a bunch of people leave when they heard that. Hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to do something sort of out of the ordinary this morning. If we could bring up our lights just a little bit here in the room. Uh, you know, every week we talk about people that are watching us uh, via our Facebook feed. And uh, over the last few weeks, uh, we have had one of our young men who is currently stationed in Iraq and uh, watching along with some of his buddies. Uh, that's Caleb Otten. So what I want you to do right now is turn around, look at the camera, and wave to Caleb and his soldier buddies that are watching us this morning uh, from Iraq. Uh, I think it's, what is it, about uh, 5 o'clock in the afternoon over there this morning or this evening, afternoon, whatever time of the day it is over there in Iraq. And so we're just glad that uh, Caleb and his buddies are able to, to catch us this morning. Uh, they've been following along with us over the past uh, few weeks, and we're glad to, to have them watching. And I just want us to pause for a moment and pray uh, over those guys as well. Would you do that with me this morning? Father, again, we thank you for this day. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time of the year when we celebrate the birth of your Son, our Savior. What a tremendous gift you gave us. And Father, we're also thankful for... Uh, for those who are far away from us right now, for family who cannot be here because they're, they're serving our country. And for them and their families, we just lift them up, and we're grateful for them and their willingness to do that. Father, although they're away from us, uh, I pray that they know that in our hearts they are here with us and that we, uh, we pray for them daily. And, Father, we just ask for safety upon them, and we pray for peace for their families while they're away. And, Father, if there's something that we as a church family can do, I pray that you'll make that known to us so that we can, we can be of support, we can be an encouragement, uh, we can be here for them. Again, we thank you for this day that you've given us for the opportunity to be together to worship you. May we honor you in all that we say and do. It's in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. So can you believe it's the last Sunday of 2019? Doesn't it seem like only a few weeks ago that we were kicking off the year? I'm amazed more and more how fast time goes by. I remember someone telling me years ago, just wait until you have kids. Time really flies when you have your own children. <laughs> and boy, were they right. Have you guys experienced that? But here we are, the end of another year and with it the end of another decade. I think Doc mentioned it uh, just a few moments ago about the decade challenge. Any of you on social media saw that a few weeks back? They were doing this on Facebook. They did what they called a decade challenge. Some of them called it a 10-year challenge. I saw one site where it was called hashtag how hard did aging hit you challenge. In the challenge, people were posting pictures of themselves from, from 2009 alongside a picture of themselves from 2019. I had to do a little digging, but here are a couple of pictures from the 10-year challenge for my family and I. They didn't know that I was going to be doing this this morning. So here's, here's picture number one. This is from 2009. Uh, this was from my sister-in-law, Whitney's wedding. Uh, I, was opportunity, I had the opportunity to officiate. My wife and my oldest were bridesmaids. I think my youngest was the flower girl. So that's, that's 2009. And then here's one from 2019. 
Uh, how much time has changed in 10 years? That was my daughter's wedding from six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. Seems like a whole lot longer than that. But, so that was our, that was our, our 10-year challenge. But, and, and isn't it fun to be able to look back? Now, I'm not sure I want to go back 10 years ago, but it's always fun to look back and remember the events that surrounded the pictures that we took. I mean, if it weren't, then why do we create these photo albums or why do we store uh, pictures on our phones for one or five or, or 10 years ago? It's fun to look back and remember, isn't it? You know, the end, of, the end of 2019 and this whole decade challenge, this 10-year challenge, got me to thinking about the past year and, and the past decade at Capital City. We've had some fun times in 2019 and this past decade, haven't we? Check this out. In 2010, our average worship attendance was 667. I think we probably fudged that number a little bit just to make sure it wasn't 666. But, but how about now, 2019, we're averaging 812 people in our weekly services. In 2010, we had 31 baptisms. In 2019, we've had 42, and there's still a couple of days left to go. Over the course of the decade, we've had 407 people who have made a profession of faith and come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life here at Capital City. In 2010, our offering was $968,000. In 2019, we stand at $1.3 million with Sunday's offering still to go. Isn't that amazing? In 2010, our generous bucket was $8,100. Now, that, that number's a little odd right there because we, only, we just started the generous bucket in October of that year, if I remember correctly. But so far in 2019, our generous bucket, you guys have given $142,000. And look what the 10-year total is. Almost $600,000 has come in through our generous bucket ministry. And I can stand here to tell you today that of that $600,000, Almost 570,000 of it has been given away to families here in our community or organizations around the world that we support because of the work they're doing. How about these highlights from 2019? Just this year itself alone, we had uh, about 1,500 people that were here for our Easter service. We gave $100,000 towards medical debt to pay off to help bring relief to families in 26 counties here in our commonwealth. About 2,000 people came to our trunk or treat. That's what T or T stands for, in case you were wondering. About 700 people came to our Jingle Jam Christmas event that we've had over the last uh, week. Just this past week, week and a half, we've given away $13,000 out of our generous bucket to families here in our community who needed some financial assistance. And we were able to also purchase the house and the land behind us. Isn't it amazing what God has done here in 2019? And although it's fun to look back and to reminisce and to celebrate what we've done this past year and this past decade, that's, what, that's not where our focus needs to be for 2020. Those numbers that I shared with you are important, and they've helped us to get where we are today. But this morning, I don't want us dwelling or living in the past. For 2020, I want you to be thinking only about one number, and that is the number one. And this idea, who's your one. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 15, I encourage you to do so. You can follow along. Maybe you've got an uh, version app on your phone there, a Bible app on your phone. You can follow along, or, or we'll have the verses up here on the, on the screen with this as well. In this chapter, we'll find two stories that Jesus shares with us concerning the number one. There's a story about a lost sheep, and there's a story about a lost coin. So Luke chapter 15, here's where we start. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let me stop there for just a moment. For you see, the religious establishment of this day and time didn't think too highly of Jesus. I remember reading Bob Russell's comments a few years ago in a Lookout magazine where he said the Pharisees resented the fact that Jesus hadn't gone to their schools and didn't share their educational pedigree. They didn't like who he ran around with and who he hung out with, tax collectors and sinners. Don't you love that description that they give us? I mean, can you picture it? Jesus walks into the restaurant, and instead of stopping off at the corner table with the ministerial association, he slides up to the bar. But those guys, they wanted him to come over and hang out with them in their corner of the restaurant, away from the riffraff and the troublemakers. They couldn't handle the fact that that every time they turned around, Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. In a recent article on churchleaders.com, it was entitled, Hospital, Not Country Clubs, Churches Without the Broken or Broken Churches, Ed Stetzer writes, Jesus lived differently. One of the common criticisms Jesus faced was that he spent too much time with sinners. He associated with the unwelcomed and the unappreciated of society. How many of us, he writes, could be accused of spending too much time with the riffraff? A church without the broken, he said, is a broken church. That's something to think about. Don't you agree? Go back to our story. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who did not need to repent. Three lessons that I think we learn from the story of the sheep. Lesson number one is that Jesus initiates reaching the lost. So there was this sheep that had gotten lost. We don't know why he was lost. We don't know how he got lost. All we know is that he's lost. And once the shepherd realizes that he's missing one of his sheep, he begins to go and and look for it. On his own, he begins to go and look for it. He goes out after it. The lost sheep didn't find the shepherd. The shepherd went out looking for and found his lost sheep. He's the one who initiated the contact. You see, God doesn't expect lost people to find us. He expects us to find them. He expects us to go and look for them. It's our responsibility. It's part of our calling. It's part of our ministry. It's why we have it posted out there on our lobby wall. What is the Great Commission? Not sit and wait for them to come to us, but for us to go. To go and make Christ-driven, 24-7 Jesus followers. It's our responsibility to go out and find them. A survey was done of those who were witnesses to someone drowning. And the question was asked, why didn't you rescue them? The most often heard response was, we didn't realize they were drowning. There was a lot of splashing in the water, and we thought they were just playing around. We didn't realize that they were in such desperate shape. I think the same thing can be true of the church today. 
A lot of times we look at our society and, and we don't, sometimes we just don't see how bad it is or we don't see how sick it is or maybe we do and we just want to ignore it. We often hear stories of things that are happening in our world that anger us and, and turn our stomachs, but then we forget. We don't realize how desperate our world has become. We see our neighbors, we, are see, we see our friends, and they're doing all of this splashing about, but, but we think that it's play. We don't realize how desperate a situation they're really in. You know, I'll never forget. I'll never forget a friend commenting to me after their divorce was final. I wondered if you were ever going to ask me what was going on. I don't know if I could have changed the eventual outcome for my friends, but I can tell you those words still haunt me because I saw the splashing but I didn't think I needed to jump in. Lesson number one, we as a church are to initiate reaching lost people. Lesson two, lost people are a top priority to Jesus. We know they're a top priority because Jesus said, if I have 99 who are okay, then I'm willing to leave that group and to go find the one that is lost. Do you remember where the text said that he was willing to leave those 99? The text said that he was willing to leave them in the open country. Open country wasn't a safe place for sheep to be in this day and time. I mean, maybe there were some other shepherds who were there who who kept watch over them. We don't know. Maybe he had some well-trained dogs who could keep the sheep corralled and keep the animals away from them. We don't know that or not. Maybe when he said, stay, they stayed. (laughs) Open country was not a safe place for sheep to be. And yet that's how I know that lost people are a top priority to Jesus. He was willing to leave the others that he had in a dangerous place to go and find the one that was lost, that had wandered away. Unfortunately, many times churches forget that top priority. Many many start out great. They're reaching people. Lives are being changed. But but after they get to a certain number, they, they become satisfied. They become comfortable They become one happy family, and and all of a sudden they lose that urgency to reach and find lost people. There's a modern-day parable that illustrates this idea beautifully. You see, the story is told of a community of people who lived on a stretch of dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occurred. Eventually, some of the townspeople decided to put some time and effort and money into a rescue operation. A small life-saving station was built, and the devoted members of the rescue team kept an ongoing watch over the sea, ready to man their little boat to to search for survivors in case of a shipwreck. As a result, the town became famous for the many lives that were saved. More and more people wanted to join the team, and soon a, a new and bigger building was erected. It was much larger than that first little building, and it was beautifully furnished and and decorated. But as more and more amenities were added for the members' pleasure and comfort, the new building was slowly transformed into more of a clubhouse. As a result, members began to lose interest in the rescue operation. But then a shipwreck occurred, and many survivors were rescued and brought into the clubhouse for first aid. And during this period, which lasted several days, the frenzied activity caused the attractive clubhouse to be considerably marred by by such things as bloodstains on the carpet and a mess in the reception area. At the next meeting, there was a split in the membership. 
Most members felt that the life-saving operation had become a hindrance to the social life of the group. And those who disagree were told that they could go build another life station further down the coast. As the years went by, history continued to repeat itself. Today, as the story goes, that seacoast has a number of exclusive clubhouses dotting the shore. But no one, no one in the area seems to be concerned with the rescue operation. Unfortunately, it's easy for us to lose sight of our priorities too, isn't it? It's so easy for us to all of a sudden have all of the amenities and begin to say to one another, wow, this is, this is kind of nice the way it is, isn't it? Another snippet from the article by Stetzer. It's kind of interesting, he writes, that after coming to Christ and growing in knowledge, we often end up distancing ourselves from some of our former friends. And then as we begin to grow in spiritual maturity we find that we have less and less time for the hurting and the struggling. I mean, do we really have to continue to reach out to people? And we've already got two Sunday morning services that are taking place. We don't have enough room as it is when we try to have a fellowship meal for our family. Really, how much more do we need? We need more. We need more until everyone we know has been touched by the love of Jesus Christ. That's how many more we need. You see, the job of the church is to reach everybody for Jesus Christ. Not just those people that look like us or act like us or dress like us or live like us. So as long as there's one person who is lost, we need to be out there looking for them. It was a priority for Jesus, and it better be a priority for his church and his followers today. Lesson number three from this parable, there is celebration when the lost sheep is found. Whenever that which is lost is found, there's a lot of rejoicing and a lot of celebrating, isn't there? Jesus said that when the owner finds that lost sheep, that he'll place it on his shoulders and he'll carry it back to town. And when he arrives, he, he calls for his friends and his neighbors and invites them to come to a party to celebrate the fact that one of his lost sheep had been found. John Maxwell was a former minister of the Skyline Wesleyan Church, and he told about sharing with some local pastors one day about the baptism services at his church and how people would shout amen and clap following and cheer following a person's confession and baptism. Following the talk, he says that one of the pastors came up to him very disturbed and said, that bothers me that you would clap and cheer at a baptism. Where's the reverence in the church, the old man said. Maxwell then reminded the man that Jesus himself says heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and that all we're doing is rejoicing because we are happy. I mean, don't you love it when somebody comes down front here and says, you know what, I'm ready to make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm ready to commit myself to him and his cause. And don't you love it when we watch and we share with them as they follow through on his command to be baptized? Aren't you excited? Don't you want to celebrate? I mean, can you really do that if you're sitting on your hands. Jesus says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons, righteous persons who do not need to. The celebration over a lost sheep being found, folks, should pale in comparison to the celebration of a lost life being found and saved. I mean, wouldn't you love to celebrate with someone in your life that has never made a commitment to follow Christ? And this morning, if you say, well, John, I just don't know anyone who needs to make that commitment. All of my family and all of my friends have already done so. And I want to challenge you to find some new friends. Find some new places to hang out. Find some new things to get involved with. 
so that you can do what Christ has called us to do as his followers, and that's to go. Here's parable number two from Luke. It's the parable of the lost coin. Luke 15, we read these words, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What can we learn from this parable? Lesson number one is that Jesus cares about quantity. Jesus not only cares about our quality of life, that we live a holy life, he also desires that as many people as possible are saved. Quantity is important to him. Numbers matter to Jesus because numbers equal people, and people are his passion. How do we know that? I mean, when you look at these parables, you would think that having nine out of ten of something would be sufficient, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd think having 99 out of 100, that's a pretty good number, isn't it? But in each story, there was one that was lost. And Jesus says, no matter how many you have, as long as there's another lost one out there, you've got to try and find them. You've got to go and find them. I've heard it said that when we get to heaven, we're going to be asked two questions, two powerful questions. The first question is, did you come alone? Wouldn't it be awful to get to heaven and see God and Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the world? And when he asked, did you come alone? We sort of rub our chin, shuffle our feet and say, well, I think I might have. Are we happy with just getting there ourselves? Is that our goal to just save ourselves? I mean, can you imagine the impact that's going to have on us when we shuffle our feet and hang our, hang our head and, yeah, yeah, I came alone. And I think the second question will just be one word. You know it, don't you? Why? Why? When we read these stories, we see that Christ had an incredible heart for lost people. He was intent on reaching everyone who was lost. He was willing to go wherever he needed to go and search for as long as he needed to search to find one more person. Lesson two that we learn from this parable is that Jesus persistently searches. Jesus said the lady sweeps the house and and searches carefully until she finds the coin. One coin may not seem like a lot to us, but to this lady it must have held great value. How long, did, the, how long did, did she search? We don't know. It could have lasted hours possibly. I mean, we know that she had to light a lamp to help her in her search, so it must have gone at least from daylight to dark, but still, we don't know how long it took her to find it. But whatever the case, she searched and she searched and she searched until she found it. A few years ago, a survey of why people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ found that 1% come through evangelical crusades or revivals. come through church programs or Sunday school classes. 5% come as just walk-ins off the street. They saw the church and decided to stop in. 8% come because of the preacher. I think it's a little higher when it's the executive minister who speaks, but we won't worry about that. No, just kidding. But check this out. 76% come because friends and relatives invited them. What's that service? What's that survey tell us? 
People don't come to Christ because of the guy who stands here on Sunday mornings. People come to Christ because people like you and I took the time to search for them and bring them to the one who could fill their needs. It's interesting when you study the healing ministry of Jesus that in 34 of the 40 stories of healings that take place in the gospel, the people who needed the healing did not find Jesus themselves. Either Jesus found them or someone brought them to him. People who were hurting, but still people who needed someone to bring them into the presence of Christ. Again, from the article that I've been reading from this morning, that Stetzer, he writes these words, We have been sent by Jesus to join him in his mission. He came to serve and to save, then so must we. And if you'll do that, if you'll bring them, we'll try and do our best to love them, to show them God, to teach them about Christ and his love, but, and to minister to them and meet their needs. But each of us have to be bringing them here. Lesson number three, it's the same as that of the sheep, and that is there is great celebration when that which is lost is found. I haven't lost anything of great value in my life. Now, don't get me wrong, I've lost some stuff during my life, and at that moment, I thought it was of great value. Anybody seen the remote? Where the remote? Why can't they leave the remote on the table right there? Who's, who's got my, where's my phone? Who moved my phone? I mean, just this week, I'm, I'm all over the house looking for my phone. I'm like, Olivia, I'm heading back to the office. I think I left my phone at the office. No, Dad, Mom took it upstairs. Oh, okay, there's where my phone is. <laughs> Who moved the keys? Where are my insignificant things? Never anything of great value, but still there's joy and celebration when I find them. Is it there for you? Now, now, please understand, you know, when, when I find that remote, I don't put it on my shoulders and dance around the house, okay? I didn't grab my phone and, and run outside and call my neighbors and say, hey, come, I, we're, we're having a party, I found my phone. But there's a sense of relief, isn't there? When that which we thought was lost has been found, and all is right with the world again, isn't it? But Jesus says, when something of great value is found, there is celebration and rejoicing. A sheep to the shepherd, a coin to the lady were of great value and worthy of celebration. And in the same way, a life touched, changed, and saved is worth celebrating and rejoicing over. I mentioned earlier that I wanted our focus to be on the number one for 2020. And then I asked you the question, who's your one. As I've been talking this morning, has, has someone come to mind for you as your one? Is there someone in your life who you want to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? I mean, folks, we, we can have a heart for the lost, but having a heart doesn't mean much if we're not trying to reach out and touch them and bring them to the one who desires to fill every need that they have. Let me wrap this up again with a final paragraph from Stetzer's article. He says, we must engage the broken and the hurting people around us. He writes, I want to be a part of a church where broken people are welcomed. A church where perfect people aren't allowed. A place where people can embark on this journey without having everything figured out from the start. That's hard, he writes, but it's what we're called to be. A church Without the broken, it's a broken 
church. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of a broken church. You know, we love showing off our gifts that we get, don't we? Not in an arrogant way, but we love showing family and friends the gifts that we receive that are special to us. I'm sure this past week you probably shared some of those gifts that you received with those who you know. Each of us who have claimed Jesus as Lord of our lives have been given the greatest gift that anyone could ever hope to receive. Don't you think it's time to share that gift with someone you know who could use that gift as well? Folks, if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted that gift, then we would love to talk to you this morning. We'd love to talk to you about it, for it is truly the greatest gift that you could ever receive. Or maybe God's laid something else on your heart this morning and you'd like to talk to someone. Please, please see one of our staff before you leave today. Stop off in the prayer room. One of our elders is back there. would love to pray with you and chat with you this morning as well. Don't leave. If you need to talk to somebody, do that, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your heart. Father, we want your heart to be evident in our lives. Father, I pray that you'll give us the boldness to search diligently, to search with all that we are, to search persistently, to not stop until that one who we know that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior comes to that realization and then follows through on making you Lord and Savior of their life. Father, give us boldness. Give us courage. Don't, Father, don't let us be arrogant. Don't let us be rude in doing so, but God, let us be, let's be strong for you as we share the love that you've given us and the gift that you gave us in your son. It's in his name we pray.